Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, July 17, 2018. It's midsummer, and we are so psyched to bring you a fantastic guest artist this week. We are loving this summer, and we hope you are too, getting your Mr. Softy in, staying out all night. No sleep till Brooklyn. All right, we'll be back in a little bit.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was none other than the Beastie Boys with No Sleep Till Brooklyn from their License to Ill album back in 1986. One of my favorite albums ever. I just love it. You gotta fight for your right to party. Yeah, that's what summer is all about, kids. Well, we, like I said earlier, we have fantastic guest artists to bring to you in just a little bit. But right now, we're going to open up that segment with a song that they handpicked for this episode.
And we are back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was The Wallflowers, fronted by Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's progeny. And the song is called One Headlight from the Bringing Down the Horse album in 1996. All right, kids, let's not wait anymore because I'm excited. I hope you are too, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week! Woohoo! And today I'm sitting here with a storyteller and comedian transplanted from the left coast, Wendy Lee Vasquez. Hey, Wendy! Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm so happy that we're getting to chat. Yes, thank you for having me on here. I, oh, I appreciate it. No, seriously. The, the second I saw you tell that story, it's Danny Ortiz's um, The Day I Should Have show. Yes. It was an awesome series. Um, Carla Katz, who was in the same show with us, yes. was also a previous, uh, on, a, on a previous episode. So it's almost like, like Danny got all this talent oh, together for I me. Know. I know. I owe Danny big time because he scouted for me. So um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Wendy. So I'm actually originally from Brooklyn. Really? <laughs> yes. You're, you're I'm a New Yorker? Knight. Yes, oh I'm a New God. Yorker. <laughs> um, and what happened was is that I went to college upstate in Rochester, uh, New York, and then after college I was like, I want to be a star. And so I moved to Los Angeles and I was living oh. there for two years. And then uh, I just moved back last July. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're the prodigal daughter. You've come yes. home. You're, the, pro- you're, you're the, prodig- the prodigal hija. Yes. So where are your parents from? Um, actually, so I'm adopted. My adopted parents are from Puerto Rico. Uh, my birth parents, my dad was black and my mom was Cuban and Italian. I grew up in East New York. I actually had the best time there. I didn't have a rough like upbringing in my neighborhood. Um, it, yeah, everything was good there. Uh, it, it may be, too, that, like, my mom, I'm, astri- I'm actually a pastor's kid, so my mom was very sheltered. So, like, I also didn't go out as much, <laughs> except for, like, church and school. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. So, did you, you mean, like, Iglesia Pentecostal? Yeah, pe- yes. Oh, my God. Were they al- are they allowed to wear makeup? No. Oh, I'm a rebel right oh now. <laughs> no, I ask because I also grew up with that Pentecostal Iglesia influence uh, on my mom's side of the family it, it was it was kind of hard i i'm the rebel out of my whole family actually so do you have contact with your birth family at all uh no uh no my my birth parents passed now oh, but, um, okay yeah so, right. so no it's not i don't have like any contact it's okay so just... your adopted family that's your family yeah that's my family right. no so you know sometimes with some people they have like a back and forth thing going on yeah no not over here i just i mean i speak to like one aunt of mine um and but other than that like i don't really have like that much communication with any um... and anyone from your from wow well wow. yeah. so how does that how does that make you feel does that do you, so you ever wish it was different or do you like kind of like not care or is it like just it's the way it is you know what i I, I did care. Um, I don't care anymore as much, but I did care when I was younger. Uh, 
because uh, I did stop. I like I saw my mom up until I was six, mm. uh, my birth mother, and then it just stopped. You know, um, mm. so like it confused me a lot. So at fourteen, I decided, yeah, I want to go like find my biological family. So like I packed up one day and I ran away from home. Uh, oh my yeah, god! Like so for I, real? Yeah, yeah. Like I actually left. Uh, I I was in contact with one brother of mine's on my on my mother's side. And, um, you know, and I looked at him for a bit and then I looked at other family members and like a sister and then another sister. It was just like a continuous of like, yeah, I'm meeting this family member. I'm staying with them for a while. And that was for like a good two years (laughs) from like 14 to 16. It was like constantly like living with different family members, um, biological family members. And then it wasn't the greatest time. But then I was like, okay, this is. I got to get my shit together. So, like, I went back to school and wind up graduating high school. And, oh, like, yeah. I mean, you, you dropped out of school? I didn't really drop out, but I also really wasn't going. So, you, had, you yeah. had, like, a hiatus, I guess. Yeah. It was a strange time, and um, I was too young to actually go on that journey. I know that now as an adult, but, like, when you're 14, you don't know that. No. You're like, I want to do this, and you just, like, head out there. Um, yeah, and it's, it seems kind of strange to me that the people that you took the effort to find weren't more interested in in keeping contact with you yeah it's um it it was hurtful but like also i had a lot of things happen during that time period with my like biological family that like when i like got older i was like yeah i don't need this in my life you know but you learn from it you take that experience and you just learn and you move on because you know you like what's that old saying you can't choose your family yes but you can choose who you surround yourself with and make your own family. Yes. And that's, that's so true. Yes, it, it really is, because it's something that, like, I've adapted in my, like, um, personal life as I have, as I continued on from that situation. Um, so not, not, not only do I have, uh, you know, my adopted family, but, like, when I went to college, I have this, like, whole family based up in Rochester. And, like, I have this guy who, like, he's, he's, like, my dad, and I call him my dad, and it's, like, we call each other every Saturday. And, oh, my God. You know, God. so, like, I formed, everywhere I go, I form my own little family. That's so yeah. cool. Well, we'll get, to, we'll get to that part of your life in a little bit, but I want to know, I just want to talk a little bit more about your, your childhood and your upbringing. So you were brought up with a religious Iglesia Pentecostal <laughs> See, household. Yeah. Was yes. your mom the pastor? Yes, my my mom was co-pastor, actually. I was going to say, because that because for a, a woman to be a pastor, that's pretty progressive for my, Iglesia Pentecostal. My mom is that lady. She's always been, like, very... She's, like, a really old-school Puerto Rican lady, just, like, had to work hard for everything. So my mom was in, in church. My mom was co-pastor. She was in charge of Sunday school. She was um, in charge of um, Instituto. Like, wow. all of that. My wow. mom was in charge. So, was, and so your dad was the pastor, pastor? No, my dad was just chilling. Um, he was really. <laughs> my oh mom. My, my mom wears the pants there. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a typical Puerto Rican household to yeah, me. Yes, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> so then, were they, was religion the primary focus of 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 them? Were they or were they? Did they like the arts? Were they? like education oriented or arts oriented um so religion was number one and then um family actually Mm. that that was just their main thing um education was important so like in the summers um 
while everyone was out there playing and having sleepovers, I was at home learning times tables and reading. And like my mom was very like, no, you have to do math today and tomorrow's reading. And like, I'm, you can't go out and have fun if you can't like do, um, tell me like all the times tables from like oh five God. times one all the way to five times 12, you know? And so she was very like, like a teacher. Yes, which which was important. I, I Like, when you're young, you don't get it. And then, like, when you get older, I'm like, oh, that's why she made me multiply. <laughs> you yeah, know what right. I mean? you're, you're, glad, yeah. you're glad that you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have the performance or artistic bug, though, as a child? I always have, actually. Yeah? And the crazy thing is, like, my mom always tried to get me away from it. Because here's the thing. Like, uh, uh, my birth family, my... Um, aunt on my dad's side she's a jazz promoter in harlem she's pretty uh well known um and so i get that like artistic side from the, like my dad's side of the family mm. so ever since i was younger i always wanted to like be on tv um <laughs> sing or or act or whatever um and i'm not a singer at all <laughs> but i just like knew i wanted to do that now in church i did like plays and i did uh you know i sang but you know that was kind of part of the culture and you know yeah. you're a pastor for a mom you kind of have to like do those things but um i've always had like an artistic i've always been a creative since i was real young i wrote songs i wrote poetry i did spoken word uh, it was just like, it's my love. So when you were pursuing something artistic, did your parents have any shutdown for you? They did not want me to do it. My mom always wanted me to go to school to be something completely different. So did you try to like go to like the high school of performing arts or something? And they said, no, um, no, I wanted to go like deep down inside. I wanted to go, but I knew my mom wasn't going to let me. Um, so it, I, yeah, I knew my mom well enough to know that she was going to be like, no, you, no. Um, and then, like, and since she was, like, so strict, like, I would tell her, like, oh, I want to do this. Like, I want to sing. She's like, okay, sing right now. And I would just, like, look at her. And, like, my mom has this serious, serious face. And, like, I would just feel like, no, it's okay. Like, she would just, like, discourage me in that way. And I don't think she meant it, like, like she did it intentionally. I just think that she... No, coming from the background that I came from, she wanted me to do better, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I think she, for her, she saw, like, being an artist as, like, oh, that doesn't pay. That won't pay your rent. That won't, like, help you have a good life. I want you to be, like, a teacher or a social worker. And, you know, so... No, I totally yeah. get it. I mean, like, there were some members in, in my family, because I always wanted to be an artist also, mm -hmm. and they were like, no, it's Susia. Mm -hmm. You know, like artists are dirty. Artists don't pay the rent. Artists are whoas. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and you know, but I, I changed their minds. But it took me a damn long time. It does. It, it does. Now but, my mother's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so you left home at fourteen. Yes. When you started high school, basically you're in ninth grade. Yes. Yes. And you never came back. I never went back. Um, <laughs> I never went back. Um, so when I left, I like. Still with a bunch of family members. And then I was like, I like I had a realization. I was like, I am failing. I'm not doing good in high school. I need a high school diploma. So my teachers helped me out a lot. They got me into Job Corps. And I went to Job Corps upstate. And I got my, finished getting my high school diploma there. I was 16. Well, who are you living with, though? Oh, you live on campus. Oh. It's, a, it's a, like a government um, program. Okay. Yeah, so I learned, like, I, I went to Job Corps. And then um, I learned phlebotomy. 
Because you have to learn a skill and you have to like either get your GED or high school that's, diploma. That's taking blood, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And Well, it's a skill you can you can take anywhere in the world if you remember how to do it. You can never forget how to draw blood. <laughs> were, you su- were you surprised that I knew what that was? Yes. Every time I tell someone like, oh, I like no phlebotomy, they're like, what's phlebotomy? I'm like... I just know how to draw blood. <laughs> That's sangre. Like, yeah, sangre. Sangre. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it worked out because, like, I got my high school diploma. Um, I lived in Rochester with my boyfriend at the time, with my first boyfriend ever. Um, and, you know, he graduated before me. And then I, when I graduated, I mean, him lived together uh, for, like, six months. And I was like, I need to go back to New York City. <laughs> so you basically were leading an adult life at the age of 16. Uh, from 14, but yes, yeah, I, yeah, I think, like, when I was, well, like, when, totally, but you totally mean, like, without family, yes, without yeah. family without from family. 16, yes. Wow, yeah. wow. Oh, so, but then you came back to New York? Yeah, I came back to New York City. When I graduated, like, in high school, it was, like, that 2008 recession. Yes, oh, so, my God, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, so I couldn't find a job, and, um, some, a, a friend of mine was like, why don't you just be a caregiver? And I was like, oh, okay. I worked on West 12th Street with this, like, adorable 80-year-old man named Joe. And um, <laughs> uh, and then at the same time, um, I had a friend of mine who will, I would go to see a lot of shows. and Because and, I still loved the arts. I still, that was still the main part of my life. Um, but I was scared. How, how were you the, expressing yourself in that way? Or were you? At that moment, I wasn't. Okay. Um, it had been a long time. Because I wrote a lot of poetry and, and things like that. And I had stopped. Like, mm. for a good few years, I had stopped. Because I had so much going on. And, you know, when you're young, you don't know how to channel that. So I had stopped for a while. And... And at that time, like, I, like, I officially knew, like, I wanted to be a comic, you know, like, because, like, in, in high school, before I left to go upstate to Job Corps, I will make jokes all the time. And I remember one time I was telling this funny story. Well, it wasn't funny at the time. My mom wanted me to get baptized. And I was like, no. And she thought it was <laughs> because I didn't want to get blessed. I just didn't know how to swim. Like, I didn't know, like, right. they dunk you in the water, and she well, didn't explain it to me. Um, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't tell my mom that. So she thought I didn't want to get blessed. So, like, of course, I got my butt whipped for that. And so I went um, to class, and I was, like, telling everyone what happened. And people were laughing. Yeah, it's funny. And I didn't, I, for me, at the moment, I was like, why are they laughing? And, like, every time I would come tell some crazy story, and my teacher, he took me to the side. His name was Mr. Lorenzo. He said, do you know that you're very funny? And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, I think you need to be a comedian. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, just stop being one in my class, but I think you need to go ah. be a comic. <laughs> and so he was the one who, like, made me aware that, like, hey, you're funny. You have a thing here, you know? Wow. Um, so... When I moved back um, to New York City from Rochester, I wasn't, I hadn't start, I didn't do any comedy. I was like, I was like, how do you even do this? And I was still very scared. Right. So you, you, how old were you by the, at this point, like 18, 17, 18? Yeah. I I had moved back at 19, 19, actually. Okay. And you hadn't gone to college yet? No. Wow. I did not go to college till 22. Wow. I was living life. I was like seeing all these shows, um, hanging out with bands in the Lower East Side. Like, I love that whole scene. Anything that deals with, like, art, I love. And then my patient, Joe, who I love dearly, I would tell him, like, Joe, I don't want to do this. 
He'll just be like, dear, you want to be a star? Go be a star. It sounds like such a sweet old man. He was. He was the one who actually inspired me to, like, actually go live my dream and be an artist. And then so when he passed, um, he I worked with him almost five years. Wow. Uh, and he died. Um, and I was like, I'm going to school. Like, I'm going to college. And I went <laughs> all the way to Rochester because I knew that if I stood here, I was like, I'm just too distracted in what I'm doing right now with seeing all, seeing all these bands and hanging out with all these people. It's just... I, yeah, I club wanna, life. Club yeah, life. I was really not... I was like, I need to pay attention. Did- I went to community college. I went to Monroe Community College. And because uh, I was like, I'm just going to get my associates and then move to L.A. And then after I was done, I was like, no, let me get my bachelor's. So I went to I graduated with my bachelor's from St. John Fisher College. I did more um, video production, broadcasting, communication. Oh, um, OK. So production, news. behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, I minored in English, so I know playwriting. I wrote some plays, little plays in college. Um, uh Anything that dealt with production, that was, like, my main focus. Uh, and I, I did the news, directed some, like, news segments on campus. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, like, little little things like that. That That's, like, when I really started, like, actually pursuing what I loved. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so what were some of your influences growing growing up for comedy and, and stuff like that? When I first, uh, when my teacher first told me I should be a comic, that's when um, Dave Chappelle started getting really mm. popular. He is, like, my whole heart. I love him so much. Um, So I started watching him. And then other influences is just things that happen in my life. Even now, like, I've never been the kind of comic that, like, I suck at one-liners. That's not my thing. I've always been, like, a storyteller. That's always Mm. been my thing. So when you graduated, did you you know right away that you were going to move to L.A.? Were you you plotting that to, to, like, go into comedy? I did. When I graduated in four weeks, I moved to L.A., and I worked so hard. Like, I worked doubles. I did three doubles in a row just to save money. My day job was I was still a caregiver. So... I saved about five grand because, <laughs> like, I spent, like, the, my last sem- uh, semester, excuse me, just working, working, working. Saved about five grand. So I rented a room from far away. Did you know anybody in L.A.? I knew one person, my friend Greg, and my best friend, she lives in San Diego with her husband. That's so, not close. No, it's not. And Greg, like, we're friends, and I've known him for at least a decade, but he's, like, always been doing his own thing because he's a comic and a writer too so he's never really in LA um so I was like I was I was basically alone I moved all by myself oh my god (laughs) wow you 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 got cojones girl (laughs) yes you got mad cojones I just like I had a dream man and I was like I gotta go do so it. So awesome. Yeah. So what, you you arrive in LA. You're how old now? Twenty at twenty five at this point. Twenty four. Uh, I was twenty seven. Twenty seven. Okay. Yeah. And so you don't know anybody. So well, did you get work right away? I mean, like, oh, how, yeah. What did you, you? Well, I knew I was a caregiver, so I was like, that's easy. That's it's so easy to get a job doing that. So I like I like. Does it pay enough to live? Not really. Um, but like, I, living in LA, I had some. I had like three, four jobs. Yeah, I eventually quit that job. But um, what happened was I I got there. I was like, I need a job quick so I know I could do that. Um, I had like five grand saved anyway, Mm. so I was okay. And then like before I left, I already had um, put a deposit down for this room. So like I was set up. I had a place to live. I had a job. But you need a car to get around LA. It is Subway. And have, the bus. Oh, that's true. They do have no. I know. I've been. I've been on the LA bus. <laughs> I've not been on the LA subway, but I've been on LA. Subway's so 
cool out there. Yeah, but it's not it's not like New York. It doesn't like no. go everywhere. It has like what five stops or something. No, it goes like um, you could go to North Hollywood. You could go really? to Hollywood. Oh. Um, you could go to um, Santa Monica. Now, when I first moved out there to train really? to Santa Monica, did, so do you? Did you know Scott Schultz out there that does the show called Busted? I know Scott. Yes, I, and I also know Chris. I don't know if uh, Corbell. You know, yes, yes, I know oh them both. Yes. <laughs> They're awesome. I've seen them both do stories. Um, I actually saw Chris not too long ago. Yeah, he Chris came was here. here. Yeah. He's from New York originally. Yes, yes. He's from the Bronx. Yes. Like, not too far from where I grew up. Yeah. But, oh, um, my God. So, did you do his show, Busted? I did not do... So, I did not do their show. What happened was I started... When I moved to L.A., I started with improv at UCB. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I did improv. And... Um, it That's was, a great school. I've heard good things it about is. it. It is. I love I have, UCB. I, I, like, I hope to go back soon, actually. But I've um, uh, been taking a little break from improv. But like, I loved it there. But I wasn't doing what I really loved. And so I started taking a stand-up class at Second City in mm. L.A. And that's how I like did my first show and, and things there. And then I was like, well, I think I really need to take a storytelling class because that's my thing, you know? And so UCB has a storytelling class. I don't know if you know John Flynn. Yes. Um, he used to live here in New York. I know. He was my teacher. Oh, my hey, coach. Oh, my God. <laughs> John, I knew him from the mod. Yes. John, oh, my God. I love John. He is a sweetheart. And so he was my teacher, my coach in L.A. And I started storytelling with him. And, man, he is so great. He, like, really made me fall so in love with storytelling. And so I started there, but... And then uh, I would go to the show, like, the UCB has, like, a, a mic, like, um, well, John has, like, a, you know, his storytelling show at UCB, and that's where I met Scott and Chris, and, like, I didn't do any, like, storytelling, I did, like, one mic, but I wasn't, like, I was having a hard time in L.A., and I was like, I need to go back to New York. And but so, were you doing stand-up in L.A. at I did all? some shows, yeah. I did some mics, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the stand-up scene in L.A. How is that? Oh, my God. So for someone like me who was a new starting like, comic, it was so hard um, because... First off, everything's so spread out. So, like, get into mics and, like, trying to figure out, like, oh, how I'm going to get home after that was, like, one thing. But then also, it was just, like... I, I was having a hard time with people there, especially being a New Yorker. So I was like, how do I fit in? And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of odd. I'm a bit odd. So like, but there's so many New Yorkers out there, though. I know, but it's like, oh, God. I have, It was like the hardest time. And like, I don't know what it was. I, I, I think I was like a little discouraged, too, at the same time. So like when I, I remember I did this one mic um, and like, I didn't even finish my set. I, like, stopped halfway through, and I'm like, I'm done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I got, like, really discouraged out there, and I think it was because, like, I didn't have a lot of friends out there. That's what's going to be my next question. Did you have a support system of friends and stuff? By the time I got the support system, I was already getting ready to leave. Like, I winded up. Like, like, it was a... the first year and a half was really hard for me. And you were and like, oh, sola. I was alone, alone. What, the, what other jobs were you doing? I worked with people with, that, with mental disabilities for like a month. And then I was like, okay, I'm done with this. And so I started grad school because I was like, I want to be a writer. And 
while I was there, I was also still doing improv. And my friend Derek happened to be a page at CBS. And he was telling me one day, and I was like, I want to work there. And he's like, yeah, well, here's, here's the number to um, the person in charge. And he gave me her number, and I sent her, like, I called her like a gazillion times, and I sent her an email, and then she interviewed me, hired me on the spot, and then I started working for CBS for six months, and that was fun. Like, I worked all these shows. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That must have been, like, the funnest thing ever. It was the funnest thing. It helped me realize that. This whole time, all my life, I'm like, yeah, I want to write a sitcom. I want to do all this. And then I was like, no, I don't. But I did, um, I love live TV. And so I was like, that's where I want to go. Like, I knew, like, after, because I worked on Dancing with the Stars. And it was so fun, because, like, when TV's live, you just, like, have to, like, like you have to get it right. Like, right then and there's yeah. this it's rush. Like, it's like theater. Yeah, it's yeah. just a beautiful rush. And so I'm like... This is what I want to do. I want that rush of like, this is what I got to do. It has to be like, we have like 30 seconds to get this right. So like, um, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I knew like, okay, I'm going to like step away from like uh, sitcom writing. Cause like I was, there are some shows where you're there to like three in the morning. And I was like, I want to go to bed. No, well, no, and, and if you don't have a car, how are you getting home? Yes. Do they have a little cot in the corner for you yeah. to crash in? Oh, my God. Yeah. So um, after all that, I, I was like, I wanted to, like, focus more on stand-up. And I was like, I have to go back to New York City. Uh, it just probably would be better for me as a starting comic um, to get that experience from New York. Um, so why didn't you go to New York in the first place from Rochester when you were graduating college? Honestly, I wasn't thinking. Well, but, but, but what what was it that made L.A. seem like the holy grail to you, like the place where everything was going to happen? Because you maybe was it because you had lived in New York already and it wasn't doing it for you and maybe you figured just a change of scenery or? No, it's just like every time you want to be a star, they, people you you always get people like, you got to move to L.A. Ah, uh, Hollywood. So, yeah, Hollywood. Hollywood. They, and they make it so grand. And it wasn't until I lived there. Don't you know that Hollywood's was, the land of broken dreams? <laughs> I did not until and, I moved there. <laughs> um, and defeated people. I, no, yeah, I, I, that's one of the issues I was dealing with out there and just, like, finding people that, like, were really true to me. Where, like, I you you kind of... I found that in L.A., if you had nothing much to offer as far as... Cause I, and I get it. It's an industry town. People are constantly trying to, like, find their way in. So if you had nothing to, like, truly offer, it's very hard to, like, find real people. And so that's that was, like, my last, like, I have to move back to New York. Because, like, even though... And I'm from here, so I know people from here, you know. I get it. Like, you know, people say New Yorkers are very rude. They're very, like... Up front, but well, like we are, we are, we are. <laughs> yeah. and, and but like, but I, I love that because you, you know, what you're gonna get with a New Yorker. And so I was like, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna like practice my craft. I'm gonna get good at it. And if I have to return back to LA eventually, then fine, I'll do it. But like right now, I'm gonna just get better out here in New York, and I'm gonna do my thing. And so, so that's so awesome that you. What I love about about hearing your story is just like. You get this idea and you do it and you know, and it's yeah. like, it's like you have this like instinct that you know what you need to do. Like a lot of people don't act on that. They'll like sit on it and ruminate and get stuck and, and become despondent and be like, oh, I missed my time. But like, you're like, nah, you like go after and you grab that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you grab that wolf <laughs> by the throat. 
Well, you have to, because, like, you're only given one life, man, and you just, like, you really have to just do whatever it is that you want, and um, I'm a firm believer in doing what makes you happy, um, and, and, like, I mentioned earlier that my mom was so against me being an artist growing up, being a creative, um, and at this stage, she's just like, okay, whatever, you're going to do it, because I told her, I'm like, this is what I love. I, I, I'm not going to be a social worker. It's a great job for some, but for me, it's not. It's not my thing. This is my life. I have to live the rest of my life doing what I love and making myself happy. And like, so if I have an idea in my head, I'm just like, I'm just going to go do it. So how's the relationship with your mom at this point in your life? I love my mother. When me and my mom get together, we'll, you know, we'll sit in the porch on the swing and just talk nonstop for hours. Now, would she, would she be someone that you would go to for advice ever when you were when you were either in Rochester or in L.A.? No, so when I left my house at 14, I didn't speak to my mom until I was 18. Oh, wow. I was, I was, I was really doing it alone. Wow. I didn't speak to my mom for a long wow. time. Wow. Yeah. I don't I don't know many people that could have done that. Yeah. Wow. God is good. <laughs> yeah. And look how you turned out like amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> so when you decided to move back to New York when you were living in LA, what did you want to accomplish when you came back here? Um when I came back, I wanted to start performing. Um, I didn't do it right away because, you know, I had to get settled, find a job, all this stuff. And I was temping for a while um, at the place that I'm at now. Um, But I knew I wanted to start performing. So actually, when you first met me, that was the first show I had done in, like, seven months. Really? Because, like, I, like... Uh, when I say I had such a hard time in Los Angeles, I really did. And so I was a little discouraged, too, when I came back. Like, I knew I wanted to focus on stand-up and storytelling, but I was also discouraged. So I had to get back into, like, being confident again and, like, knowing that, like, I could go out there and do do my thing and it's okay. Like, and I was getting too thinky about those things. Um, yeah, you get caught in your head yeah. and then you end up being paralyzed and not doing anything. Yes, and that's how it was for, like, a good six, seven months. So when you first met me... I had just, that was my first show um, in like seven months, because the last show I did was in L.A. So when I saw you tell that story at Danny's show, that was the first performance you did in New York since moving back? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Now, backtrack a little bit and talk Mm -hmm. about how you got into storytelling. How did you discover storytelling? Um, Well, when I was in Los Angeles, I took a stand-up class. Uh, So... um, I just realized that, you know, they have you write, like, one-liners and things like that. And I was like, this isn't my thing. It's just not. Like, I'm not good at a one-liner. Yeah. I could write, like, a great punchline. But I'm like, I can't write a beginning, middle, and end joke. That's not my thing. I'm more of, like, talking about my personal life. And I had started getting into Mike Birbiglia, who is a fabulous storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's me. Like, that's what I do. Um, and my teacher, uh, she told me, she was the one who told me like, well, maybe you should like look into like doing some storytelling. Um, and so John had this class, he had an open spot. I signed up for it and that's how I got started into storytelling. Um, and he was fabulous. He inspired me so much. Just like hearing him talk, like and hearing his stories were so, it was so amazing. Um, and so that's kind of like what I wanted to do. And I was like, I love stand up. And I still do, but I want to combine, like, I want to do, like, comedic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's my thing. Because, like, that's my stand-up, you know? And something that my teacher taught me in my stand-up class, she's like, stand-up, you could go to a mic and do anything. Anything is, like, 
stand-up is anything you want it to be. And um, that was the most amazing thing I could hear because this whole time I was like, well, I'm not a traditional, like, punchline kind of person. And, like, by her telling me, like, no, stand-up is whatever you want it to be, I was like, listen, I'm going to go out there and tell funny stories about my life because it's great. And it is great. Yeah. <laughs> so like, That's what I do. <laughs> yes. When I'm not doing the podcast, <laughs> I try to do it as much as possible. By the way, you're so great. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, when I saw you perform oh. it was by far and I, I and honest to god it was by far the most inspiring because you had this like beautiful blend of like funny and just like sad but not sad in the way like it was just this beautiful combination of both like for me oh. and it inspired me so much Thank and I was you. like I have to talk to her after the show <laughs> and it's so funny because that night for some reason, I just... Because you were sitting with friends off to the side. Yeah. And, and there were more people, like, in front of me, and there were people a little bit, like, on, on the stage left part. But I looked at you at one point, and I didn't know you. I don't I think I just, like, met you. But, like, you were laughing, like, loud. And I was like, oh, she likes it. So I kept playing to you. <laughs> and I was like, you, you were get, but you were getting it. And it was like that New Eurekan thing, too. I was talking yeah. about chancletas and stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, well, a little pescal... Because, you know, we don't say a little birdie because this is the fish out of agua show. Okay. <laughs> a little pescal says that you have a little funny story uh, to read to us. I or do. Or to tell us. All right. I do. So without further ado, <laughs> Wendy Lee Vasquez. 2017 was the hardest year of my life. I was living on the West Coast and I hated it. So I decided to move, to, move back to New York City. The love of my life and I got into a heated argument and stopped talking. And I had no clue what I wanted to do in my life. So when 2017 was getting ready to end, I was damn, damn happy. My co-worker Sabrina invited me to her New Year's Eve bash at her house in Jersey. And my good friend was going to go, my good friend Sam was going to go with me. This was going to be a fun night. I decided that 2018 was going to be my year. So I went out and got the sexiest, cutest red romper I could find that hugged my curves in the right places. Living in LA for two years, I somehow managed to lose my confidence. So... I needed to get my sexy back. Sam came to pick me up at 8 and drove us to Sabrina's house in Newark, New Jersey. When we got to Sabrina's house, there wasn't a lot of people yet. After all, it was only 9.30 at night. Sabrina introduced me to her girlfriend and her friends that had arrived. They were all artists, and I love artistry, so 2017 was ending in a bang so far. As the apartment began to fill up, I found Sam, and I told her to make sure that when the ball drops, I have to text Brendan and tell him Happy New Year, and I also have to make sure that I get to see the ball drop. Sam agreed and gave me her special drink that she makes called Herbalina. This unique concoction was a mixture of weed, coconut milk, and spices. It was so delicious. I drank less than half a cup. Sam didn't want to give me a whole cup because it had been a while since I had smoked weed and a huge dose of herbalina would not bring in the new year the right way. 30 minutes after drinking herbalina, I felt nothing. I went up to Sam and asked her for another cup, but she said no. She told me that since I didn't smoke often, she didn't want me, she didn't want to give me another cup. I was angry and I wanted to have fun. It had been such a challenging year, but but turns out Sam was right. Five minutes after speaking to her, I started to feel so fucking stoned. I looked at, I looked at the time on my phone, and it was 10.30. I went to the living room floor and started dancing. When the music stopped, I thought an hour went by, but when I looked at the time, it was only 10.35. I was so confused. I started to panic, but thankfully Sam was right near me. 
Sam looked and noticed that I was beginning to panic. Go with the flow, Wynn. Let the weed flow through your body. That's what she told me. It was like Morgan Freeman was talking to me because Sam has that nice, sweet, soothing voice that made you feel like everything was going to be okay. Sam told me to stay on the dance floor while she went to the kitchen to pass out her herbalina. I found this guy posted on the wall watching the crowd. I went up to him and said hello. Everything was foggy after, but I remember he had this beige suit on that was too big for his slender body. The same part of my brain was like, I need to show this man how to wear a suit. Time went by and everything was spinning. I had to use the bathroom, so I went up to Sam and asked her to help me. The super sexy romper that I had that I had on was hard to get off because the zipper was in the back, so I needed help getting it off. Plus, I was high. Poor Sam had to go to the bathroom with me and wait while I finished using the toilet so she can help my zipper. She could help zipper my romper on, in the back. Sam saw too much of me that night. Every 10 to 15 minutes, I had to go to the bathroom because I kept drinking water because I was so high and I wanted to. I wanted it to go away, but that didn't work. Throughout the night, I would tell Sam to remind me to text Brendan and say Happy New Year and make sure I'm not in the bathroom when the ball drops. I wanted to see the countdown. I wanted to make sure that I saw the New Year come in. I looked at the time and it was 11.20. I was so hungry, so I went to get food. There was fried chicken, mac and cheese, and mac and cheese and ribs. I piled my plate up with a bunch of food and started to nibble. As I was eating, I began to worry about choking. <laughs> I kept thinking to myself, what if I choke on this chicken? Who performed CPR on me? Afraid, I stopped eating and went back to the living room and posted next to Sam. I grabbed her and looked at her and half sobbing, I said, Sam, every time something good comes my way, I get scared and I think it's going to leave, so I run away before it can leave me. Sam looked at me and told me, see, see why weed's important? If you didn't drink the herbalina, you would have never found out that... You run away from things when it gets too close to you. I looked at the time, and it was 11.50, and I had to use the bathroom. I got Sam, and we walked to the bathroom, but someone was in there. I banged on the door and said, hurry up, the ball's going to drop in 10 minutes, and I have to see it. The person did not come out for another five minutes, I was, and I was so worried because I didn't want to miss the ball drop. I had to make sure 2018 started off to a good start. It was 11.55 when the person came out of the bathroom. I dashed in, and Sam helped me unzip my, unzip my romper. I said, Sam, hurry up. We only have five minutes. I hurried up and used the bathroom, but I came out too late. Everyone was saying Happy New Year's and blowing horns. I was sad, devastated. I was going to text Brendan, and then I was like, why? I missed the countdown. 2018 is not going to be a good year for me. An hour went by, and it was time to go home. I got in the car, sad. 2017 was such a bad year for me, and I wanted to go into 2018 with a bang. Instead, I went into 2018 high, no confidence whatsoever, and alone. But one good thing about New Year's 2017 was that it taught me that whenever people get too close to me, I run. So I spent the last six months of 2018 trying to figure out, figure out why. And I could say that even though I didn't start 2018 with a bang, Six months in, I'm confident, not alone, and not high. <laughs> you know, I could picture this as an 
episode of a sitcom. <laughs> Life of Wendy. Life of Wendy. You know, oh my God. That's, um, are you going to be telling that story anywhere soon? I had a girl ask me if I want to do her show at the end of July. I don't know the theme yet. So if there's no theme, I will do this story. Um, so yeah, I'm, or I might just go to a mic and just do it. To yeah. Be honest. Do you ever go to the happy hour story hour on Mondays at the duplex run by Julia Whitehouse? No. Check that out. Okay. Check that out. Mondays. Julia, I'm sure sh- I never get to see you, but I'm shouting you out. Happy hour story hour at the, at the duplex in, um, the West village at like, it's on Christopher street and it's on Monday night. So just look that up. So if people want to get in touch with you, Wendy, where they, where can they find they you? They can find me on Facebook at Wendy Lee Vasquez or, um, they can find me on Instagram as Wendy Lee. Are you on Twitter? No, I'm not on Twitter. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and I'm not on Instagram. So here oh, we go. What? Do you have a website? No, I don't have a website. Work on that, okay. girl. Because sometimes people like will put your name in a Google search. And like if, if, if you have a website, you know, then they can find out about you. Like her on Facebook. Follow her on IG. Because you can. <laughs> So, Wendy, um, I always ask this question of everybody when we come to the end of our chat, and I think you're going to have a wonderful take on this, because a lot of people that I interview are older than, than 35, mm-hmm. you know, and you're really just starting out. So I think you're going to have a really great perspective on this question. Okay. So, Wendy, if you had a word of advice or encouragement for a child who wants to be something more than either their family or society or where they live can allow them to be at the moment. And they don't see how they're going to be able to realize their dreams to achieve something. What would you tell this child? I will say, do whatever it is that you want to do, regardless of what anyone has to say or think. Um, You only get one opportunity to do what you love, like, well, one life to do what you love, really. Um, so whatever you want to do, just go out there and do it. And if you screw up along the way, that's fine because that's life. You have to learn, but it will build you and it will mold you and it will get you to where you want to go. So just follow your dreams, whatever it is. Wise words from a young woman. (laughs) I'm so glad we became friends. (laughs) Yes. I'm so happy. Thank you for being on Fish Out of Agua, Wendy Lee. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I really appreciate it. Hug on the air. We always end with a hug on the air. (laughs) Woohoo!
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the second of Wendy Lee Vasquez's picks, Soft Shock, from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's It's Blitz album from 2009. Did you know that Radio Free Brooklyn also has a newsletter, Radio Free Brooklyn? Every month, we'll send you the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events, as well as interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on RFB swag, and more. The emails only come once a month because we are committed to a spam-free world. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. And hey, kids, I know it's sad, but that's our show. Once again, you have been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn with Michelle Carlo. And we're going to close with the last of Wendy Lee's picks from Young the Giant, God Made Man from Young the Giant album in 2010. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week, because this is what Brooklyn sounds like. Cause I want